on the Insure Tech Geek podcast, talking all about attention hacking and digital scouting with Dr. Robin Kira from Digital Scouting. InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technologies we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. And we're here today with our fantastic guest, Dr. Robin Kira, otherwise just Robin, just Robin, uh, consulting, marketing, personal and virtual speaker for digital scouting. Uh, Robin, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for, for being here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, where are you joining us from? I call Hamburg, Germany, my home. Nice. So is this your house? Is this your home office or are you at the office? If you don't tell anybody, it's my office, but I'm the only one here, so I think that's okay, but it's don't fine. tell anybody. That's fine. The police it's, comes, you know. Yeah, I know, dude. It's fine. You know, you can be in your office if you're by yourself. There's no big deal. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Hamburg. Uh, now, I have not been to Hamburg. I, I, I went to Frankfurt, and then I went all yeah. around Bavaria, you know, uh, uh, but I, I have not been to Hamburg. Um, were you born and raised there? No, I, I was not born and raised there, but we have been living here for the last decade at least. So um, I think I've never lived anywhere longer than Hamburg. So let's talk about you before we talk about digital scouting and, and yeah. tech and everything else. Walk me through what you, you know, wh- where did you grow up uh, and what did you dream of being uh, when you were a kid? And then, then how did you wind up here? Yeah, well, uh, I uh, always dreamt of becoming uh, two things. A, a pilot, but I think nowadays that's not a good career choice anymore, or a soccer, professional soccer player for Hamburg Sports Club, which I never achieved because I had a lot of passion, but I was always very bad at it. You know, that's, you know, you always need passionate people, but really bad at it. So I never made it over the, I think, second lowest league, but I, at least I played a little bit of league. But I come from uh, from Cologne. We moved to the middle of Germany, which is, uh, you know, a few hundred kilometers or miles away. I went to school there. Um, and I even had a life before insurance. One may, might not believe that. I worked for a large medical technical company and for the family that owned it. Um, super interesting time because, um, you know, you had the senior uh, entrepreneur that built this company from 3,000 to 60,000 people, multi-billion dollar company. And he was like a very honest um very honest uh, person and is still a role model when it comes to being an entrepreneur and uh, how to do business because uh, you st- I never had a contract with them uh, and I worked for uh, several years for them and that was really, really interesting uh, to, to see that this handshake deals worked. Yeah, and then I went to the insurance industry, which is quite a different field when it comes to that. And uh, I started actually as a sales agent. So I really went out uh, and tried to sell insurance policies on the couches here in Hamburg and uh, in the rural areas around it, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Um, um, and um, I was really complaining a lot in those days because we got... 15 pound heavy laptops and uh, cell phones that you could only call people with, you know, like, like no mobile internet or anything. And on the same side, you had like sometimes sea suits visiting us. And then like they were telling about the new bright future. And, you know, there was no real, no contact to the reality what we had out there. And so I was really ranting a lot. 
But instead of firing me, they actually put me into the headquarter in, in Munich. Um, and uh, there are led large-scale transformation projects and also short and mid-term emergency projects. So we were never the most popular employees around, at least not for, 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 for others. Um, but that was gave me the opportunity to not only learn really nuts and bolts of sales, but actually also how insurance uh, companies are working from the inside. What what lines did you sell? Were you personal lines? Are you a personal lines broker or commercial lines? Whatever the customer wanted. <laughs> or wanted I, I wanted the customer to buy. No, uh, life, health, uh, life, health, and... Uh, Disability? Uh, PNC. Uh, what I never did very well were financial products, ah. sometimes a mortgage, uh, which is a very, I, I think it's a very good product. Um, but I never went to the stock um, thing um, because, um, um, you know, it's not my strong suit. And I think it's a big problem in the insurance and finance industry. You have the bankers that are very good at selling these products and they don't have a clue about insurance. And you have like typical agents like me that, you know, have the boldness to sell a mortgage and maybe, maybe a fund, but that's it. So I think <laughs> that I was a typical agent's. Yeah. So you found a calling in sales. Now let, let's. I'm going to wind back for just a second. Yeah. I too wanted to be an awesome soccer player. I mean, I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to be a great soccer player. I really did. Uh, I I played goalie from when I very first started. I was always a goalie. You know, high pressure position, yeah. the last person. Uh, and, and I the, the best I ever got. I, I got to play some time at, at the top team in my high school, but. Never made the select leagues. I never got to go up into the you know the ranks. Uh, I, I just wasn't good enough. I I had uh, the heart was willing, but the skill wasn't there. It, that's really what it came down to. Any anything involving aim, I was terrible at. And so I was what I, I was a very physical defender. Uh, you know, I would just yeah, I, me too. Because <laughs> I was because I was tall. You know, I was six six foot one, about what is that two meters or something. And, 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 yeah. and, and, you know, over a hundred kilos, you know, so a hundred kilos and, and six, six ones. I mean, I, I had some weight and some height to really, you know, get physical. And so I, I got physical cause I didn't have the skill. It, it, uh, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. But now I'll, I'll, I'll second you on the pilot thing. I went ahead and did yeah. that. I, I'm a private pilot. Oh, cool. Um, and so Very I, cool. yeah, so I fly usually two days a week. Um, I'll be in the air even, even during all this, it's a great way to, take your mind off of things. So I love flying. Uh, I did not fly, find my calling as a professional pilot. I wanted to be a private pilot. And uh, and uh, I'm actually friends with, uh, through Facebook groups, a bunch of pilots in Germany. You have a very different, uh, di- very different thing going on there with general aviation. Uh, your gas prices are way higher than ours, so it's a it's a little bit harder to be a private pilot in Germany because they uh, they don't make it easy on you with the fuel prices, but no. uh, or the VAT on buying a plane. They, they charge this incredible amount of tax to to buy an airplane, but it, it's a it's a it's a heck of a hobby. Uh, so you and I definitely share that passion. I also love selling. I never did insurance sales, but. Let's walk through you. You jumped into being a broker, uh, personal and yep. commercial lines, P and C, health and life. I and mean, yeah, that, that's a lot of lines to, to really cover. What led you to digital scouting? Well, maybe maybe one thing that I found quite striking was that you had this insane sales system that the headquarter was deciding that I needed to sell accident insurance in February. Not in March, because then it's supplementary health insurance month. 
And I found it so insane that we needed to call clients and they were on a list in our portfolio uh, and they were allocated randomly. So I always asked the C-suits when we had this, you know, uh, this uh, reward trips and all of that. I asked them always, how does the headquarter actually know the, that Mrs. Meyer that I'm visiting in February actually needs an accident insurance? And they always said, we don't. It's like, why should I sell her that? You know, I, maybe she wants the life insurance. Maybe she wants a mortgage, maybe whatever. And I found always that we called a lot of clients throughout the year. And then they said, oh, thank you that you're calling. Two months ago, I bought a new house. I was like, that's not good because we should have provided the mortgage. We should have provided the, uh, the whole house uh, being insured and all related insurance, uh, term life and whatever. Um, so we n seemed never or almost through luck to hit the, 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 the person to meet a client when they were in the moment of need. So there was a big detachment. And then on the same side, you had this insane sales mechanism and, and system that, you know, made you sell certain products in certain ways. So I thought that was came, you know, in, in a century ago when you didn't have any digital knowledge about your clients, it's okay. It's still, and by the way, these insurers in, in at least in Central Europe, They were, came out of a time like 100, 120 years ago, mostly same structures as armies, you know, command and control and, and all of that. And, but it had nothing to do with the reality, uh, I think, uh, of the 21st century. So, so that was my main anger at the time. So I was an angry sales agent. Um, not, I mean, we could be still the sales. It was totally okay, but I was an angry sales agent. It's never good to be um, an angry I, sales agent. <laughs> No, <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. But, it's not I, good. Not good think, for sales. Yeah, and and you had also in the internal departments where we worked also insane things. So I was always very angry about these um, these these um, insanities. And I was, you know, this very simple kid that actually you know, called out these things, or at least was thinking about how could we actually change these things. Um, and and digital scouting ex um, came into existence because um, fast forward, I worked for banks and insurers and startups, um, and we were built super successful products that made me a little bit independent because I was thinking, well, you know, you could always find a job in IT or whatever. And um, then I, at some point, three years ago, four years ago, I uh, went on stages and talked about all these topics that were annoying me in the industry. And I always thought the last thing I thought when I went on stage was, and if I never find a job in that industry again, I don't care. You know, but what actually happened was that I didn't get booed off or beaten off stage, uh, even though, you know, not everybody laughed about my joke when I said we will meet again in 10 years, but only half of the people will be here um, <laughs> because of AI and other shifts. Um, yeah, that, yeah, that, you're laughing. That, that goes, well, you know, I'm a professional speaker. I've spoken at, at hundreds of conferences and I've, I've definitely said some things like that. Like it, and it, it goes over really well with part of the crowd and really poorly with another part of the crowd. <laughs> They're like, because they know their they know their heads on the block. <laughs> yes, and I would say those who don't laugh know why you're not laughing. But I didn't say that to 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 make him mad, but to shock him and to say and wake him up and to say, guys, you need to do uh, girls, guys and girls you need to do now things. You need to do massive action. There's medicine, there are cures out there for the for the situation you're in currently. I mean, you know, if you have a multi billion dollar company that you cannot as it sells products that are purely digital, like an insurance policy, but you cannot buy it on the homepage. It's insane. You know, it's, it's, it's almost that you should actually exchange the whole board just because of that. But what, what I wanted to say is at that point, those in the audience that were nodding first, two, three, then 10, 15, those people gave me a call. 
And then they said, Robin, come by, have a coffee. And at the beginning, I had a lot of coffees. I didn't even understand what I was doing was consulting and I should charge for that. But I got understood this a little bit later. And so digital scouting um, it, it came into existence first as a blog that exploded through speaking social media and then as a consulting company where we uh, help insurers and banks um, in, in different ways. It's digital strategy, with apps, and it was what I call attention hacking. And and what I, what I think I'm hearing too is that you had a broader thesis that using a digital tool set you can more accurately pair when people want to buy with who wants to sell to them <laughs> because that that was the big disconnect before right yeah. as insurers were trying to sell insurance policies to people who had either already purchased them or were not ready to purchase yet and they were trying to shoehorn it into an artificial timetable Exactly. And what I found out when I was due to my passionate, uh, you know, belief about the state of the industry, when I was really ranting on stages and when I was uh, really also producing a ton of content and at some point with team members that would, you know, do producing better, you know, graphics and animations and videos and all of that. And suddenly these insurers came to me and I said, like, this is actually a nice sales situation that the client comes to us and we don't do no sales at all when the client <laughs> comes to us. And then I was thinking, this actually is what very, very good agents do over decades. They create a situation in which everybody in their community knows them and they come to them, the client comes to them in the moment of need. So there is not this detail, but because they did the work. And I think... In these days, insurers and banks, but especially insurers, can create a situation where you, they don't push into the market, but where the clients, the ones that are in need, uh, they pull themselves out and come to you. But you need to do a lot of a uh, lot of things for that. Yeah. Um, and I always say we need to make the customer and the client come to us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a uh, that's marketing, right? I always say marketing is generating demand. Sales is converting demand into revenue, and and that's that's why. Because there seems to be a lot of people who are really confused about the difference between marketing and sales, and they use the phrases interchangeably, which just really bothers me. I'm, I'm like, no, no, no. M marketing, marketing is is you know thought leadership, content, uh, it's campaigns and mass. I mean, you know, marketing, marketing is is getting people to want your stuff, and then sales is taking that demand and converting it to revenue like that. There are two very different things, ideally directed by the same person. I, I like having a chief revenue officer who oversees rep marketing and, and sales. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, not everybody does that because of political battles and just all the things that happen at insurance companies. But you know, it, it, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. so it, it's a real, real fascinating Robin, uh, Rob, I, now you, you introduced me to Robin. I would just love to hear you know how y'all met and then, uh, what your thoughts are on, you know, the digital transformation of the sales process. It's, I know that you've spent time thinking and writing about this. Yeah. So I actually don't remember exactly how I met Robin. Definitely started following him on social media. He's uh, really well known out there. The attention hacking definitely got my attention um, from digital scouting. I know we've met at a couple ITCs and, and probably most memorably, um, we uh, were at Magic and Innovation in Vienna um, last uh, fall and awesome. uh, got to both yep. you know, be on stage talking and I got to meet Robin's beautiful bride and his beautiful daughter. And we got a little bit of time to, to hang out there in a way that most often these events were just kind of, you know, very much, you know, ships passing in the night, get to say a quick hello, but, but don't get to spend a lot of quality time together. Um, Robin was uh, kind enough to have me on his 
a live show that he started um, over the past month uh, during coronavirus, we're all stuck at home, whatever. Um, the attention hacking continues full on, and uh, he's had just some amazing uh, guests on uh, each day over the last month, kind of talking about the state of InsureTech um, really all around the globe. So yeah, Robin, and, and, and I saw, I've seen some of his speeches, and, and particularly the, the passionate speech about insurance agencies and, and where they need to go, and from his uh, kind of upbringing and experience in, in Germany. So Robin, I'm just kind of curious if it, you know recollections of, of connections in some of these events over the years, and, and maybe you have one or two events that have really stood out to you and and i don't know if that's because of the location of the people that you met or whatnot so i'm curious to get your thoughts as we both kind of uh travel the globe and uh, occasionally yeah. run into each other at these events yeah you were very uh, kind not to mention the the place the restaurant uh, we dragged you into which was of doubtful um you know food quality but you were very kind and we made you so eat all our specialties german specialties and south Germany. i got very excited about it and he was very kind to eat it all i'm not sure if it, <laughs> how you felt the next day but uh, very 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 kind of you that you ate all that well, you know, my daughter was tearing that place apart. But again, <laughs> um, yeah. So when it when it comes to uh, when it comes to the the conferences, you had great events. Magic of Innovation in Vienna, I think, it's very you know very familiar. Not too big, but you know, very very special atmosphere. I think uh, I'm a big fan of of the large ones. Intratech Connect. I think it's. I really keep my fingers crossed that Jay, Samara, and the whole team and MJ uh, are able to pull this through. And if it's it's going to happen, I will come no matter what. At least when they let me into the country. <laughs> so let's see, let's see about that. But it, it, it then, the, or, or am I allowed to leave, you know? DIA in, in, in Europe uh, is super uh, important. Uh, you have the Intratech, uh, Intratech Insights, also very important. I think you have a lot of great events and smaller regional events um, all through Europe. You have even some companies that do great events, uh, internal ones in Holland. I was at Keylane Forward, which is from, from, from Keylane Company, which is also, a, was a very nice, you know, very, you know, regional event, but where you could learn also feel a lot about the the region I, I think there are a lot of great events and i really hope i really 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 hope that they kick off again and that this whole very beautiful insurtech community insurance community that you know sometimes we are competitors you are some service providers are competitors but there's so much help going on i mean not only lawsuits but actually really 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 much help going on behind the scenes and and Trying to make insurance better. It sounds pathetic, you know, and maybe I'm blind, but, but I think that's something very beautiful. But I hope, I think we need to work on this. And that's why it's so important that you guys also do this podcast. We need to work on this, that it stays like it and that we return and become stronger after this and, and continue this very nice culture. Yeah. Robin, let's, let's just dive into some topics that you end up working with clients on. Like, you know, because yeah. you, you talked about using digital tools to more closely pair the timing because timing is everything in sales. It's 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 hundred percent. You know, timing's everything to pair buyers and sellers to more to, to really you bring a lot of efficiency to the marketplace, right? Because uh, yeah. ideally, you drive the the amount of time of a sale out, and, and you you help the buyer and the seller. So that's one of your big topics. But walk through, walk me through yeah. what else you consult with folks on, and, and what are the what are the big pain points out there? The two big pain points are the currently or in general, but the two big pain points are the inefficiencies of managing sales units. So you have the uh, tied or untied agent and broker. That's one story, but you have the, you know, hundreds and thousands of sales managers that manage these tied and untied or, you know, employed uh, agents and brokers. And what is their reality? They step into their car, drive to the three or four meetings a day. Sometimes uh, go also visit them and accompany the, the, the agent and broker to a client. 
and that's it. So they have five touch points a day. That's and then what they have maybe a hundred or fifty or hundred fifty, you know, people to work with. Depends on the size of the company. That's super old school and inefficient. What I always say is, you need to talk to your target group, and this can be your end customer or it can be your 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 agent, a broker. You need to talk to them daily. And then they say, "Why, Robin? I have one hundred fifty. I cannot talk to everybody daily." I say, "You can use technology, create content." And the magic is that you are doing it as a sales manager in that region within, for your 150 people that know you and with, you know, assistants and secretaries and employees, it's maybe 300 to 400 people. They know you and it makes so much a difference. We have run statistical tests on this. It makes such a big difference if you as a sales manager share content from the headquarters. By the way, nobody cares about that. Yeah? Maybe <laughs> if it's this great second soccer club behind it, but that's it. Or if you do something. We have, um, uh, for example, what we do uh, with uh, different sales channels, it can also be via banks, uh, being so that the sales managers create content tailor-made for a small target group, their people they, they would normally visit, and then um, do also call for action and say, please sell supplementary health insurance. This is not a teeth month, whatever. And the magic is that the touch points increase. And when I know one thing in sales is if you increase the number of touch points, with a certain group, those who were likely to buy or act on your behalf will. And that's what we see. We see the reduction of travel costs by 50%, which is a big amount. And we see the increase of revenue up to 30%. And I think that's something very beautiful. And you know what's funny? They have a lot of fun doing all of this. And they create a community of, 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 of fans, actually. You know, And that's the sales manager side. If you go to the agent and, and broker side, um, what we do is we enable then the units that manage them regularly or normally to really enable them to also use these attention hacking tools and to actually, it's really, it's easier for them. It's only a cultural thing. It's easier for them because the very successful uh, agents, they have done it. They went from door to door in their town 20 years ago. Now they're like super, super successful, super rich and everybody comes to them, but they did it 20 years ago. Or they are super in a certain ethnic group because they belong to it or have some close proximity to it. And as you know, I have a friend who is Croatian. He, I think, ensures every second Croatian in Germany. But because, you know, he walked the walk. He really went there. He did it. He uh, went to all conventions. He went to all friends and, and weddings and all of that. And take this again and put it into the digital world. How can you as an agent constantly, continuously communicate with your clients in a way they are consuming information today nobody reads white papers anymore or scientific articles i mean some do okay yeah but you know um why do not put this content for your smes uh, for yep. your uh, small and mid-sized businesses into into animations and videos and all of that and again with your personal note they know you and um don't uh, only share the stuff that's the headquarter um I've, I've wondered that because you see a lot of white paper publishing and you're going, is anybody really reading these? And then you want, then you think at some point, a lot of this marketing content becomes an echo chamber for marketers to read other marketers stuff. And it's only the marketing staff reading the other marketing staff's content just to review their marketing content to produce their own marketing content. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, it was like, I've, I've, and that's why we're. And that's why we are so disliked by a lot of agencies. And I don't like the word agency because that is for me an agency. Um, we also get sometimes nominated for prices and I, I never show up because I say that's not, nothing matters. I don't care about the opinion about uh, another marketing. I care, I care about the opinion of the customer. I think it's a no, it's an insane idea. But it is, but you asked about white papers, especially in the B2B space, maybe some super in the cybersecurity space. Or if you're a super nerd or an actuary, maybe you read it, but not the decision maker. 
Um, what we actually do is when, when clients come to us and say, we have a white paper, I say, first of all, I shout and cry a little bit. And then I say, okay, <laughs> in order to not make this a waste of money, let's chop it up. Let's make, give me the 10 best points. Let's do animations out of this. Let's do small videos out of it. Let's do FAQs about it. And, and then because the intellectual content is great, but the format is horrible. It's, it's, it's if somebody would, you know, uh, send you a CD. Yeah. I, I call it, I call it chloroform, you know, like it, it's, if you, you, you <laughs> like, you want someone to just to pass out, give them a white paper, uh, give them five bullet points, you know, like if you look at risk and insurance's daily emailer, it's just five bullet points, but you know, yeah. Yeah, they keep very. it. They keep it clear cut. I mean, for a reason. Rob, I know you've got a lot of opinions on this. <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny. So somebody that wrote a long form book that's over three hundred pages, right? <laughs> and, um, kind of going back through it, it's like chopping that up uh, is something that I, I haven't done. Could easily do. I, I have written some some shorter pieces, some um, some articles uh, based on the content in the book, and I think those have gotten as much, if not more, resonance than the. A three hundred page book, right? So uh, it is audiobook format too. So uh, that's yeah. become real popular, uh, which is great. But and again, I think the audiobook it's it's eight and a half pages, I think, or I'm sorry, eight and a half hours of content. But it's back in the days where we were commuting to work and, and back. You know, that's uh, you know kind of forty five minutes right there, forty five minutes back. You can knock it out in a, yeah. in a week, so it's good for that. So I, I definitely agree with you guys that just a wide range of, of different content. And, and again, the attention hacking, I, I love that because there is so much thrown at us, right? On social media and, and our email inboxes and everything. Robin, I wanted to um, kind of pivot in and ask you, uh, you know, I mentioned the, the live shows that you've been having. And again, you are one of the most global, if not the most kind of global traveler. And, and I know you're you know, kind of staying at home, hunkered down in this time recently, but you're still talking to thought leaders from all over the world. Are there any um, common themes that have come out through some of those live co- show conversations or others in terms of, you know, where people are kind of at this moment in 2020 as it relates to uh, insurance and insure tech and, um, you know, kind of thoughts on, on what's to come over the next year. Yes. I, I would put it into three, the three F's. I would say uh, one topic is fast. One topic is fear and the other topic is furious. Uh, let's put me, what, what do I mean with it? I think everybody was surprised that the global insurance industry with people still working with paper books, that they were able to go into full remote mode within days. That's incredible. If you would have offered me a bet and say, give me, I don't know, a thousand bucks and I give you 10,000 back, let's do a bet. I would have not invested that. I would have said not in 10 million years this is going to happen, not with a gun to the head of most CTOs and CROs and whatever. So I was totally positively surprised. Um, I was pretty sure about a lot of small and mid-sized insurer I know, or, or even some larger ones that have been doing their homework and not only opening a funny lab, but actually doing something. So I was sure about them, but a lot of other places I wasn't sure about. So I was in deeply respect for the industry. I was totally wrong. You were right. I'm totally surprised. And that's around the world. You see and hear about cases about insure without digital signature, without, you know, uh, online uh, application process. So there are some bumps, but we have not heard about an operational implosion. So I think that's that's good. I mean, again, there are some exemptions, but overall, the market has done a very great job. And I think nobody has expected, expected this. Yeah, I've but seen, also, yep. Robin, I've seen uh, some hilarious memes of what did it take for my company to get serious about digital transformation? It said profitability, cash flow, innovation, you know, forward thinking, massive world ending pandemic. <laughs> 
And it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it took the pandemic. <laughs> That's what it, it took. Yeah. It took the pandemic. <laughs> but, but, but taking the fast comes also the fear. Of course, nobody will now disallow Zoom or other streaming um, uh, technology or will say, uh, again, uh, home office is the devil and it will lead to the end of insurance. And nobody um, will say this anymore. But we have other emerging technology out there. For example, voice. You know, I again right now hear the same people that told me uh, five uh, weeks ago that home office is not possible at the company and they love mainframe and, you know, uh, cloud is the devil. And now they're saying exactly the difference because COVID-19 told them so. But now they're saying the same stupid arguments against other technology that, you know, will also or has evolved in other industries. So I think there's also the fear around the world that we do not take this um, positive experience uh, of adaptive, uh, of the way we adapted to the situation and uh, that we have the same old naysayers saying nay, no to the next things. And I think that's something, um, Bill, Gay, Bill Clinton said something at the funeral of Helmut Kohl. He said, no historic victory is permanent. And I think that's something we can take away from here too. No historic victory is permanent if we don't do anything. So that's so important that the innovators in the insurance industry continue to push, continue to do, continue to be the pain in the, of everybody else and say we need to do the unpleasant things that don't feel good because it's the right thing to do. And when it comes to furious, yeah, I think when we as an industry continue this path, take our learnings from this, uh, move forward and, and, and keep the speed up we have today, we have a furious future ahead. And I see this also around the world. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said, in particular around there are things that you can't walk back from this, right? Because yeah. it, it forced the, the the case in point, right? It forced the proof that first off, we can use way more digital tools. And Robin, JB Knowledge, right? We build software for insurance companies. We have two products for insurance companies. We've got uh, two offices in Argentina, one in South Africa, one here in the US. We were not and, and we were all digital. We went we went work from home in 24 hours. I mean, we, we got it done. But we had 212 people. I mean, we, and it was it was a lot of work. And our IT staff was crazy busy. But we just weren't still fully utilizing all the tools that we had, even to connect internally with our own staff. We're using Teams about 10 times as much now as we did before this to get to know each other, to connect. to And, and then we've completely transformed our strategy on how we're connecting to our clients, the, the way we call them, the way we email them, the way we reach out on social media, the content we post on social media, retooled our schedules. I mean, it's it has been a wholesale rework. Uh, you know, So I, I think what's what's been really exciting is we've realized there's a lot of things that we could have been doing three months ago that we weren't that we can do now. So I'm, I agree with you completely. It's forced the issue. It's proved the point. Robin, you and I both know though, there's going to be some very traditional old line insurance folks that will seize on one or two failures during this time and exploit that to, to return to old habits. You know, how do you, how do we combat, how do we combat the inevitable naysayers that are going to try and roll this back? Just ask them where they were March 16th and what did they contribute to the saving of the company. Mm. Mm. Well, and then there will be a lot of quietness and then the discussion's over. <laughs> well, of course, it's not so easy, but um, I would say uh, that's something I think also companies can see and managers can see, senior decision makers can see when they look at their companies who contributed in the crazy days of going to remote and also now 
to you know the value of the company who was keeping pushing and coming with uh, solutions and who actually did not. I can tell you about a funny uh, coincidence how we actually got a client of one of the largest companies, uh, insurers here in, in Central Europe. It was not the C-suit. It was not some senior VP. It was not some uh, decision makers. It was somebody in a certain line of business in the sales department that had a they, they couldn't sell anymore. They have sales targets to hit here. They still have the stupid system we talked about. Uh, and they could not visit the clients. So they came to us and say, how can we actually, you know, you was this internet thing, they do this with the clients. And um, so, and, and but, but, but this is a minority, but you need to identify these people, I think, and to push them. And I think as a decision maker, it's your job to look at your uh, employees and, and your team members and say, who has been, you know, supporting, who has been part of the solution, who is now always part of the problem. Mm. Rob? Robert, so you and I um, now for the last couple of years, at least I've done the last couple of years, you may have done it longer, uh, are jury members on the FMET Accenture Innovation and Insurance Awards. And uh, we get the privilege of getting to see companies from all over the globe and, and kind of rate and, and judge and, and give out trophies uh, to those with some of the, the best inventions. And uh, we're supposed to meet in, in uh, Milan Italy this year. They've, they've now switched to virtual. So so bummer that we would, won't be able to to connect in early June in, in Milan in person, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts on, um, oh my gosh, I know, uh, bummer. So, so hopefully uh, there'll, there'll be another uh, opportunity to, to connect at some point uh, physically in person, but I just kind of want to get your thoughts, A, just on the awards in general, and then just be like, are there any innovations that you've seen either through that process or, or others that have really stuck out, you know, two, three trends that maybe you're just really thrilled about seeing that you think are, are, are really hot and kind of want to um, spread the one? Well, there are two things uh, I see. Um, there are two things I see. One thing is, uh, of course, we do not see so many um, in InsurTech that say we are going to save all, uh, we're going to solve all problems of the whole value chain. So you see more and more selective people that do selective things. And there was one very impressive one at the um, FMA um, in Amsterdam uh, in, in, like in a platform, an app store for insurance software that were connecting via different APIs and connecting different uh, core systems, something super complicated. But in the no-brainer, I was you know, very mad at myself that I didn't have that billion-dollar idea. So um, And, and they're from Holland. I think they're um, uh, CSS called. So that impressed me. Um, and a lot of other great service providers. We have one um, scan data here in a, in, a, in a small East German city that do crazy things with um, house scanning, you know, or fly reel in the US. Also super interesting uh, um, when it comes to that combined AI and, and use cases in the insurance industry. Um, I think we, we would need to go through like all certain cases. But what I also see, what I think is even more exciting, that slowly you see midsize and smaller uh, insurers or departments from large insurers that started two or three years ago, really interesting projects now reaping their benefits. We see interesting digital products. We see suddenly, you know, growth rates at insurers that you were actually unheard of. You know, we see insurers growing 10, 15, 20, 20, 25% in certain segments, um, you know, and I think that's that's something that I'm really happy about that those who did the homework now also uh, reap the benefits. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I agree. Some of these investments, Robin, take time, sometimes two or three years. It, this is a long play, which in the politics of insurance, and you know, these are very political entities, right? That Political games are short play games. There's very few people that 
that play long and and that results in some efforts that truly are going to transform a company getting cut at the knees uh, before they really get a chance to uh, to yield results. And so that's what's really interesting about what you just said is that there's some significant results being realized now from investments made in 2017, 2016, 2018 that took two, three, or four years to play out. You know, we've developed some digital products for uh, some brokers and carriers that that have taken two, three, and four years to really see um, not the completion of the project. You know, usually the the IT part, like the part where we build the software and we build the system, that'll take six months, nine months, a year, a year and a half. Adoption takes two years. <laughs> you know, to get everybody excited and using the product, it can take two, and sometimes it takes an, an economic change. You know, right now. There's products on the surety side of the insurance business that are being used much more than uh, six months ago because now there's a significantly higher uh, walk away or default risk. And so people are, are, are really paying attention to that now. And so they're, pl- they're, they're piling in to these digital products that were completed two or three years ago. Uh, it, it's very interesting, Robin. Great. Timing is everything, isn't it? Timing is everything. We built a product that managed pre-qualification of contractors and then bidding with them uh, for the construction business. And we worked with we worked with insurance brokers on this. We worked with the carriers. We worked with the people that were really involved in the surety side. And no one really was interested in buying it in 2006. And uh, 2007, they were just so busy and things were so good and everybody was doing so well that still we, we were only moving a few units to the software. 2008, mid 2008 hit September 8th, 2008. Lehman Brothers collapses. The the, the economy craters, and uh, all of a sudden, everyone got very interested in this technology. <laughs> and you know, uh, 12 years later, when we sold SmartBid, it had a quarter million companies a week using it. You know, and it and it, it all resulted in in the timing. Timing is everything. Yeah. Um, you know, timing is absolutely everything, Robin. Yeah, and I think you you, you touched two interesting points, the political situation and timing. Uh, what I always say, you have a lot of good uh, large-scale companies with the deep pockets that do interesting projects, but a lot get killed after one and a half years. My most favorite example is my former employee, Allianz. I mean, I still, I still love them. Don't, 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 don't worry about that. But like, if, for example, that a great project, like they had Allianz Bank, even before PSD2 and open banking, they would have, you know, they shut it down after one and a half uh, years or Allianz X, which was a company builder, super interesting approach. Again, I, I'm not in the shoes of the decision maker, so I don't know all details. But corporates tend to measure new units, new ventures, independently if the color of the insurer is blue or not, very quickly with return on invest. And I think that's important to have this perspective on it. But you never ask the return on invest of the legal department or the HR department <laughs> or actually almost no department, uh, but only the new ones. And that's, I think, not fair. And I think the, um, a lot of incumbents are losing um, a lot of opportunities by doing that again. Don't waste money that you know doesn't never bring me anything back. I think return on invest is something very important, but um, to kill projects too early um, or corporations is something it's a sickness in the industry, I think. Yeah, and um, you you said timing is everything. Um, I think um, we have seen InsurTech here that now had their best month. Gets uh, get safe is one here for millennials, big competitor of Lemonade actually. Uh, and they had the best month in March or a uh, Milo, which is for, uh, for business insurance, commercial insurance had the best month uh, in March uh, because a lot of uh, uh, brokers actually were looking for somebody who actually were willing to accept their applications uh, and others had some problems. So um, I think there are opportunities and, and I really wish that a lot of players out there that did their homework, went the extra mile, 
are now rewarded. Yeah. I mean, well, we had uh, Sabine Vanderlinden on a, a few episodes ago, and um, she was really emphasizing, you know, resilience going forward and kind of what you were describing there. I think about, you know, being available, right, when 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 you're needed most. And, and James, kind of similar to your story, right, um, on timing and a product availability. And it's obviously difficult to, to, to get right. But I think that robustness, that resilience is what um, a lot of people are, are looking for, right? Hey, if your sign is still open, your, your lights are still on, that means a lot in today's environment, just that availability and that ability to, to pivot and flex and uh, take advantage of um, market opportunities as they come. Yep, absolutely. Well, fascinating discussion. Robin, I want to do something new for our podcast. And I told Rob we were going we were going to do this. And we're going to use your site. Uh, I just want to talk about a couple of news articles that you posted on your site. And I thought they were interesting. I just want to get your opinion on them since you posted them and uh, they they came out. And this is, again, on digitalscouting.de. That's for uh, Deutschland. Deutschland. Sorry. (laughs) If you're from the south in Germany, you you tend to yell your German. So my family is from the north, by the way. So uh, north, northeast. Yeah, my grandmother was northeast Germany. Interestingly, they bailed out of Germany during the last major pandemic, 1919. So, uh, Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. Little, little, little rando uh, news story. Okay. So let's go into news. Uh, Gig workers. This is from, from you. You posted uh, an article from WeForum. Gig workers among the hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic. Of course, this impacts insurance as well. Why do you think gig workers are getting crushed when we're depending on them so much for deliveries and for connection? Well, uh, I think um, we can put it in two buckets. Uh, one bucket is those who are, we, are, we are needing uh, and we need a lot. And by the way, we as digital scouting are in a way the gig workers too, because we are like the hitman for certain problems to be solved really quickly. But we see uh, also a lot of gig workers and consultants uh, getting laid off in the air um, industry and in transportation in, uh, um, in in the um, hospitality industry, so I think um, certain that I you know they are hit really really badly, um, and that could be a substantial problem because if the um, travel industry, the hospitality hospitality industry, and the airline industry do not recover quickly to old um, levels, then a lot of people will be sh- out of business permanently. Yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy where you kind of have this massive divergence in demand demand and supply. <laughs> on certain categories of jobs, in particular the transportation gig workers and delivery. And then you have like the babysitting and the people that are you know face to face, all them all the freelance uh, you know, on site and massage like massage therapists, right? I mean completely out of work and babysitters completely out of work. I mean there's and then you know then you have delivery drivers who they can't find enough of them. And so they're ha- they're having to retool the entire gig worker economy really quickly. Rob, I'm sure you've seen the same thing uh, in your town if you try to schedule a delivery with favor or, or with uh, with H E B. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And we see this surge in demand for, for warehouse workers and uh, janitorial staff. And and meanwhile, like you said, like, you know, lots of layoffs and others. So it's just this huge upheaval uh, in the economy that's going on. The dynamicism is, is unreal. Um, you know, Robin, you mentioned fast earlier. So uh, there's definitely been an accelerant, uh, I think, and, and especially some of the digital trends that we mentioned as well. Yeah. And- and Robin, the, the second and final article I want to I want to talk about that you posted: lockdown, cybersecurity demands grow amid shortage of skilled professionals. Now, this is even before COVID nineteen. Uh, there was a really really high demand for cybersecurity professionals, and a really low. We we had a supply demand problem. Now it's getting worse. 
I interestingly, I got an email from my cyber ENO carrier this morning notifying and warning us that cybersecurity attacks and attempts and fraudulent you know, invoice swapping that are they're skyrocketing. Like it's not like a little increase, it's a massive increase. And so my carrier, who I'm, I'm not going to name who they are, but they're a they're a very very large uh, major carrier in the cyber and ENO space is notifying customers that there's been a drastic increase in the uh, in the uh, number, frequency, and severity of cyber attacks. All of this happening while you're reporting that there's a huge demand for cybersecurity professionals and not enough of them. So what what are your thoughts around cyber, Robin? Well, I think cyber was a big topic for the niche and for experts. And yes, even they could not be satisfied by the market. And uh, I've seen, uh, I've been to, to Israel for, for several times and uh, been also in the ecosystem there and to see some super interesting cyber security companies there. I mean, they are around the world, but there's a, a, a significant hub there um, and a lot of seasoned um, um, entrepreneurs, by the way. So what I think is that um, um, with the you know situation at home, with, feet, with way more internet connections and VPNs and whatever and all of that, that there will, might be an increase in the demand. But um, I think it's more an increase in the consciousness that our systems we use daily are vulnerable. Um, and um, and that's the idea a little bit behind this hypothesis. Um, but what's scary is, it's scary that, you know, the market wasn't able to deliver um, the amount of experts, even when only niche people were you now demanding it. And now when the masses start, I think, that's something interesting and also something interesting for the insurance industry because, you know, how do you measure cyber risk? It's not like, you know, a mortality table that doesn't change in 100 years. Yeah, it's, it's very fluid, very fluid. And of course, you know, we all know lawsuits are going to abound because of this. Certainly, there's a lot of business owners uh, suing or threatening to sue or lining up to sue their general uh, liability carriers for the loss of use of their office. <laughs> uh, and, and the, you know, this is, oh, yeah, there, there's going to be. There's going to be uh, a, a plethora, in particular in the United States, because we are very lawsuit happy. Uh, there's legislators here uh, at the state level that are talking about forcing carriers to pay out general liability claims, even though it's not covered. Pandemic is not covered in their policy or it's explicitly excluded. They're talking about overriding insurance contracts at a state legislative level. I mean, look, this stuff hasn't been passed yet, but there is a wild, wild discussion. Uh, that being said, uh, we're going to cover some more of your news articles uh, in other episodes uh, because you've got a really good mind for news curation. I encourage everybody to go and check out digitalscouting.de. That's digitalscouting.de. And our illustrious guest, I'm going to only use his formal name one more time, Dr. Robin Kira. Robin, thank you. I think your dad's right behind you tapping on your shoulder. Yeah. That's me. No, thank you so much for joining us today. And Rob, as always, thank you so much for the introduction and uh, the great discussion. Thank you for having me. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. It's all about technology transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara Daltonaro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. Look forward to talking to you soon. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time.